0: In the morning, when you need the news that matters most, they can kiss my f-ing ass right downtown and print it. You need the front page. All these mother f-ing editorials on the press box.
1: They're really, really behind you around here. My f-ing ass.
0: With Granny and Bischoff.
2: Rip them mother f-ers. rip them touching suckers like the fucking players.
3: The Knicks beat the Hawks 101 92 to even that series at one game apiece. But I have an important question for you, Adam. Is yelling that Trey Young is balding good or bad trash talk? It's absolutely
1: stupid trash talk. <laughs> Knicks fans are clearly rusty from not having watched a playoff game in eight years. <laughs>
3: I thought the same thing. I was like, yeah, that's it. Like, really? I mean, he's balding. I, I, I mean, he doesn't have good hair. I get it. But I don't think that's going to bother him too much. Did they think he was unaware? Or Maybe. like he's trying to cover it up? It yeah. literally doesn't look like he's... like he, he he looks like he's actively like, yeah, I'm balding. So I'm yeah. just sort of letting it grow where yeah. it grows. I mean, his hair does look terrible. I just thought it was uh, not the greatest the, trash talk.
1: The The worst part of it all is that... A couple of years from now, Trey Young is going to be a free agent. And every Knicks fan is going to want him to come (laughs) to New York. And he's going to say, yeah, I thought they were kind of jerks when they were yelling about my hair. So I ruled out the Knicks.
3: Uh, So what the hell happened to Julius Randle in the first and second halves of this game? Well,
1: he was the most improved player in the NBA for a reason. (laughs) And he might have made zero field goals in the first half. He might have played a terrible game one. But then... He was the most improved player in the second half. They didn't give out that award just for one day, but he was outstanding in the second half. And Derrick Rose, my God, Derrick Rose channeled Bulls Derrick Rose in that game. He played more than 30 straight minutes. That Derrick Rose... The one who can't play more than 30 straight seconds without getting hurt most times. But there you had Derek Rose dropping pocket passes to Taj Gibson like it was old Tom Thibodeau days. It was awesome.
3: Yeah, I feel weird. Tom Thibodeau, Taj Gibson, and Derek Rose on the Knicks in a playoff game like a decade after they were in the playoffs for the Bulls. It just is very strange. I don't know what to do with that. I'm just going to enjoy Trey Young and a little bit of Julius Randle and occasionally Alec Burks. Why is that guy any good?
1: I don't know, but Alec Burks uh, and Emmanuel quickly seem to have some sort of uh, mystical connection that worked out very well for the Knicks last night. Look, the Knicks were fortunate to win that game last night. They're down double digits at halftime. They're now tied with the Hawks. This has seven game series written on it very clearly.
4: And Altuve drills this one deep to left, and you can kiss that one goodbye. Off the community leader signs for Altuve, a leadoff homer, and it's one nothing Astros. 2-2. Swing and a miss! Struck him out on a slider inside. Pujols goes down, and so do the Dodgers, as the Houston Astros win it by a final of 5-2. Pujols awaits the pitch from Abreu, set at the belt.
1: Here it comes, and down he goes. Swing and a miss.
4: We'll end the game and the Dodgers eight game winning streak Garcia did a nice job uh, mixing the fastball
0: top of the zone the slider and um, you know we just really couldn't put anything together Uh, you know as far as their pitching they just did a nice job keeping us at bay.
3: I am disappointed Ed Graney is not here. I'm also not sure what I loved more Jose Altuve hitting a leadoff home run against Trevor Bauer or Albert Pujols striking out as the tying run to end the game.
1: See you should have stuck with just the first part there because I actually asked this question of a friend on on a broadcast last night and said when Jose Altuve homers off Trevor Bauer is there enough hate to make the world implode? (laughs) Like it feels to me like there's a no win situation involved there and yet. When it comes down to it, like, I think I still dislike Trevor Bauer more. You and I were going to be on the same
3: page about Jose Altuve hitting a home run for the first time ever. So really, you think you, you think that you hate Trevor Bauer more than Jose Altuve? I think so.
1: I do, because in the end, Jose Altuve is still this, this tiny little midget who managed to make a career in Major League Baseball. Um, You know, he had some help, obviously, but... Trevor Bauer has a lot of advantages in life and yet still chooses to be a sullen jerk.
3: <laughs> I like what side you're on. Although I am very, I am still very thrilled about the poolhole strikeout because Albert Pujols has haunted me since he came into the, like, he went to a different division and the Astros followed him. I don't understand how that even happened. I don't like that guy. I was, yeah. do you, do you know, how like I was beyond nervous that he came up as the tying run. Like, he's hitting like 200 this year, and I'm like, oh, Jesus.
1: This Listen, game's dude, tied. he's he's not that Albert Pujols, and it wasn't Brad Lidge.
3: Uh, it was Brian Abreu. Oh, I feel much better about the guy who's like, shouldn't have even made the roster if the season, if we had been healthy to start the season.
1: You got Dusty Magic. You got nothing to worry about.
3: Lord. Next question The Cowboys hired Ben McAdoo as an analyst. Did you miss him? Texted this to a
1: different friend upon seeing that news yesterday. Cowboys hired the assistant principal and the New York Giants are employing Jason Garrett and everything is terrible (laughs) because we decided that the Ben McAdoo haircut looks like he is a middle school assistant principal. And so I'm very excited to see him back in football. Although there is a chance that he might be able to go sort of secret agent on the Dallas Cowboys and somehow screw up Dak Prescott and make the Giants more oh competitive.
3: Oh boy! Oh boy! Is this why the NFC East is so bad? Because they just keep hiring the other team's bad coaches to come be assistants. I kind of like the
1: theory. Um, I actually <laughs> like what the Giants have done with the offense this winter and i'm excited to see how jason garrett can screw it up once the season gets here yeah how they can finish third in the division
3: of course it'll be
2: great weird that to me both jason garrett and ben mcadoo look like the guy that tells you look i'm not here to replace your dad i just want to be your buddy
1: (laughs) that is way more jason garrett than ben mcadoo but it is absolutely jason garrett
4: next question
3: lamar jackson says he wants to be in baltimore forever his quote I would love to be here forever. I love Baltimore. I love the whole organization. I love everybody in the building, but hopefully we'll be making something happen pretty soon or whenever. So Lamar Jackson's going to play this year on a $3 million cap hit. Next year is the last year, the fifth year option of his rookie deals cap. It jumps up to 23 million on that fifth year option. I, what do you think? Like, should they be giving Lamar Jackson a second contract? Oh,
1: they, they should be giving Lamar Jackson, a second contract. Come on. Uh, I know that we've seen his limitations as a downfield passer. We've also seen those limitations exacerbated greatly by what they've given him, which is a whole lot of nothing to catch passes for him. I know that the legs might not necessarily age as well as a drop back passer would, but Lamar Jackson right now is one of the most unique weapons in the entire NFL. And if you and I have both sat here and said, yeah, you know what? The Raiders were right to extend Derek Carr because once you have an above-average quarterback, you got to hold on to him. Lamar Jackson's better than above-average. Well, I haven't said that. They shouldn't have extended Derek Carr. You and I both agreed that Derek Carr was better than getting rid of Derek Carr in multiple
3: situations.
2: Well, okay, so we need to bring a shovel to get over that bar.
3: Okay, the the reason that I ask, and the same goes for Derek Carr now because he's going to need another contract in the next couple of years... Like, Lamar Jackson's not the quarterback that you win the Super Bowl because of. Like, he's not in that top three or four realm. And I I, I feel like if they give him a five-year deal where he's getting paid 30, 40 million a year, the Ravens are never actually going to win anything. That's why I asked the question. Now, getting rid of, like you said, getting rid of him might be worse. The Ravens might get worse because of that. But if your goal is to win a Super Bowl, I feel like giving Lamar Jackson a big contract makes that harder to do. He's 24. You're burying him at 24 we never having had a real wide receiver catching passes for him i mean we we tend to know who quarterbacks are after we see him for a few years
1: i do think so in general but lamar jackson i think might be a slightly different case because of the dimension that he brings with the running game and you say okay he's so dangerous in the running game that just make him a you know an average to above average
3: passer and he's a guy that you can build around yeah, you can build around it him. It's not that he's bad. It all comes back to salary cap management. That, to me, is what the question is. And if your goal is to just sort of stay good, then yeah, get Lamar Jackson. Maybe you'll you'll win a Super Bowl, but I don't think you will. I really don't. I think you're better off. Lamar Jackson's right on that borderline of should you pay this guy or not pay this guy. And I think I'd lean towards not paying him because I think once you pay him. Your roster gets $30 million worse at other places and your team's not good enough to win a Super Bowl and he's not he's not good like Carr. he's not good enough to make up for those deficiencies.
1: Okay, so two years ago Lamar Jackson was the MVP of the league granted largely based on his legs, but he did find some vertical passing attack uh, to make him a little more dangerous in that regard. But the Ravens situation is not going to lend itself to playing out the PFF model of this guy isn't a top seven or eight quarterback. And so you ditch him and try to find something else because this team is still good and this team is still making the playoffs. And this team would have to go into a complete tank probably for multiple years to end up in a situation where they would be able to draft a quarterback to bring in and try to start this whole process over again. Because I don't think you're going to pick down at the bottom of the first round and be able to successfully rebuild this team right because the only way you're going to get the quarterback you want is to be able to trade multiple firsts to move up which is going to hamstring you the same way that paying lamar jackson 30 or 35 million a year would do
3: am i wrong in thinking you can get a quarterback that runs as well as lamar jackson that's an average to below average nfl passer for in the first or late first second round
1: i do think so yeah i actually do lamar jackson as as a runner is elite it's not like he has some josh allen wheels that maybe you can get outside every now and then you can build a whole offense around the threat of we have to account for this guy running
2: i mean you could also just you know hire him to play tight end no we no, gotta wait no,
1: 10 no, no, years we're not there yet a decade we're away yet. jared yeah man you know that's a great question
3: all right i watched the funniest worst soccer game ever yesterday via real beat manchester united in the europa league final they went to penalties. It was tied 1-1. It was the worst extra time I've ever seen in the history of the sport of soccer. But penalties was phenomenal. Villarreal beat Man U 11-10 on penalties. The only missed penalty in the penalty shootout was by Manchester United's goalie, David De Gea.
2: You gotta get that.
3: So you enjoyed watching 22 penalty kicks. Uh, yes, because what? Okay, once you get to about six or seven, And nobody missed. You start thinking, all right, I want the goalies to kick because you got to get to 11 and the goalies are the ones that have to shoot once you get to 11. So once it got to about six or seven, I was cheering for every single one to go in so that I could see the goalies kick. And listen, I, you can very rarely say this in team sports. David De Gea is 100% responsible for their loss. He did not save a single... He had 11 chances and did not save a single penalty. And then he's the only one that missed. He's 100% responsible for the
1: loss. So I, I just want to get really clear on something here, Tyler. You enjoyed the fact that the two teams did exactly the same thing for six or seven kicks. Then you started rooting for it to go even longer. But you're the same guy who wants a baseball game to end almost immediately
3: in the europa league final to win a championship not in may in game 47 of a 162 game schedule the europa league final to win a championship right
1: it's the the, europa league because all of us around here look there, there is one of these championships every three months in soccer. It's great. Nobody can tell the difference among any of them. I so okay. don't tell me it's about, I don't care if it's the Europa League, the UEFA League, the World Cup qualifiers, the Kafka CAFCA, Kafka CONCACAF. None of it makes any difference to me. If you are arguing to me that you want to see penalty kicks, penalty kicks in which you know what you have? You have two seconds of action and roughly 60 to 120 seconds of nothing in between all of them. You're telling me that's what you want, but you want to see a runner on second base at the beginning of every extra inning.
2: Make up your mind. I think if baseball, instead of going to extra innings, just went to a home run derby, what he's saying is he wants everyone to hit a home run and then it to come down to the pitchers. Right.
3: And everyone I'm not going to lie. That. I would like that more than the fake runner. Right. It'd be great. It's all great. I can change my mind whenever I want. Coming up next. <laughs> Cleveland Furrow. He's not too thrilled with the criticism of the Raiders' defense.
0: I mean, it's really just
1: people who don't wake up and do what we do every single day, speaking on what we do every single day. So, you know, at the same time, it's like I, we understand people gonna have their opinions, but you know, you can't tell me how to drive a car. You ain't never drove, you know what I'm saying? So that's how, that's kind of how I look at it.
3: That was Cleveland Furrell talking yesterday to the media. Adam, I do want to ask you. um, You've never driven my car. Do you think you could tell someone else how to drive it? Should I tell someone else how to drive it, though, Tyler?
1: Should I? When I haven't been out there learning how to drive your car every single day? <laughs> when I haven't been studying your wheel and your gas pedal and your brake?
3: <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a bad analogy because driving a car is absolutely something you can tell someone else how to do, even if you've never driven that specific car.
1: I, well, also, if I were to rank all of the cars in the Lotus parking lot, where do you think yours would would check in? Would it be above 81st or below 81st? <gasps> because that's that's where Cleveland Farrell ranked as an edge defender last year in uh, pro football focus rank. So I just want to know, do you think that your car is below or above 81st?
3: Well, since uh, not everybody is back in the office, I'll say above 81st for now. Once, okay. once we're at full capacity, I might be below 81st.
1: It's entirely possible. and So, you know, I think you should probably wait until there are 81 cars in the lot before you suggest.
3: That. Okay. Small sample size. Maybe
2: he's one of those guys that drives a manual and won't shut he up might about be. it.
3: He might be. And that's fair. I don't know how to drive one. I do. But so, that's because maybe, um, but it's the true driving experience. Yesterday, the Raiders had OTAs. It was open to the media for the first time. Players talked to the media for the first time. Uh, but what was interesting is Richie Incognito. Uh, he talked yesterday. And if you've been following, there was a couple weeks ago, the NFL PA came out and basically said they didn't want players to show up to these voluntary OTAs because there weren't uh, protocols, guidelines in place for COVID that they felt comfortable with. Um, but Richie Incognito yesterday said that after that happened, The Raiders as a team, the players got together and decided that they should come in. They should show up for these voluntary OTAs. And he cited competitive advantage that they felt that, okay, other teams are going to show up. Other teams are going to do this. And we're going to be at a disadvantage if we don't show up and do this. So how real do you think that is? Or is that a nice story to tell for a different reason? They all showed up.
1: There are plenty of players who are going to show up to OTAs because of a roster bonus situation, right? Or because of a, I shouldn't say a roster bonus, but a bonus situation. The thing about competitive advantage, yeah, it's a nice story. And you know what? For younger players, absolutely, it might matter. If you're a seventh round draft pick, you probably are feeling a lot of pressure on yourself to show up. But Richie Incognito? We're worried about whether Richie Incognito is going to be ready for the season, for whether he shows up to OTAs in May? I don't buy that at all.
3: He cited, he cited yesterday, a new defensive coordinator, which I I can understand that side. And he also cited having a lot of new faces on the offensive line. I'm with you though. I don't think Richie Incognito needs to show up to play well with that offensive line, show up to OTAs in May. I think they'd be perfectly fine if they didn't see each other until August and the offensive line would be as good as it would be anyways. But I'm also curious, what do you think of the names that weren't at practice? Because not all the Raiders were there. There were a handful of guys that missed. The two biggest names were Josh Jacobs and their big free agent signing, Yanni Ngakwe.
1: We make way too much out of all of this. <laughs> if, like Truthfully, <laughs> we make way too much out of who shows up to voluntary offseason training activities. Look, these have been scaled down so much that last year, all we heard about was that you really didn't miss anything by doing all this stuff virtually, right? You didn't miss anything when it changed to having to do all this over Zoom, at least when it came to this part of the activities. And so who shows up and who doesn't? I don't care. I truly don't care. I'm not worried that Josh Jacobs isn't there. I'm not worried that Yannick Gokwe isn't there. I'm not worried that they didn't come for three days in May. I'm not worried about what it says to their teammates, not worried about what it says about their commitment, about their preparedness. Because in the end, we showed last year that it doesn't matter if you can be here in person for these things.
3: Uh, yesterday with Ed, I was joking that the, the NFL of all our sports leagues understands the word voluntary worse than any of them. Voluntold is Vol- more. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're Yannick Ngakwe or Josh Jacobs, you don't have to show up. I mean, they shouldn't. not I would I probably wouldn't show up either. Unless I had that, you know, workout bonus in my contract that said, yeah, you're going to get whatever, half a million dollars if you show up for these voluntary workouts. I would do that, which also kind of makes it involuntary, right? This is true. This is true. Was uh, was the leader of the defense there? Oh, who's the leader of the defense? Is it Jonathan Abram? I thought, it was, Abram? John- I are thought we, it was Jonathan Abram. Are we sure it's Jonathan Abram? I thought it was going to be Jonathan Abram. That's what I read. Can we pick somebody else? We don't get to pick anything. <sighs> Can they pick somebody else ah now we're getting somewhere <laughs> is, is jonathan abram going to be starting in week 10
1: so we have an article from the athletic from vic tafer that includes this line abram is poised to be the leader of the raiders defense if and man oh man if is carrying some serious weight here if the strong safety can stay healthy and learn from his coverage mistakes from last season by not being so ultra aggressive and biting on everything. <laughs> Tyler, I feel like you can be a leader of the Raiders defense if you can add 150 pounds in the next three months and become athletic. What do you think? Can you do it? Mm, it's a lot of work. Do I have to show up to voluntary workouts? No, 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 okay, not at all. Good, no, good. Those, those, are, those are completely voluntary. I'm sure you're working with your own trainer. Right. So you and Jonathan Abram basically have the same task in front of you, which is to fix your body and to become better at your job.
3: You don't you don't you know have a hard time imagining Gus Bradley sitting down watching Raiders defense from last year and thinking, yeah, Jonathan Abram, I want that guy starting and I want him being the leader of the defense.
1: I wonder if they would have gone out and drafted two safeties this year if they thought they were doing pretty well at safety. Yes, I know they're free safeties and not strong safeties, but if you drafted a strong safety to come down and play the run in the back of the first round a couple of years ago, then that's probably a philosophical problem. So Jonathan Abram becoming the leader of this defense is strictly based on the narrative that he hits people hard. Well... It's really difficult to hit people hard when you are not in the vicinity of the people that you need to hit in order to hit them hard. And so we say if he can learn from his coverage mistakes, he's in his third year in the NFL. He couldn't cover in college. He can't cover in the NFL. What makes you think this is going to change? And here's how he's supposed to do it. By not being so ultra aggressive. One. Okay. That's exactly why you think he's going to be the leader of the defense because he's ultra aggressive. So which is it? Which is it? Is he going to be ultra aggressive or and be the leader? Or is he not going to be ultra aggressive and be able to cover? Two, he's not going to bite on everything. No, he is going to bite on everything because biting means that you are run faking and that you are trying to bring him down to do the thing that he thinks he's there to do, which is to blow up a running back or to blow up a linebacker on the way to the running back. You're talking about biting on double moves and coverage? Is that what you're talking about? Your quarterbacks can't get around that idea. So why do you think your strong safety, the one position in your defense that probably is going to be the least able to do that is going to be able to pull it off after two years of proving it in the NFL that he can't. That is a garbage line to even write in the first place.
2: I mean, he he hits his own guys hard.
3: He hits moving cameras hard. Hey, hey! Good leadership does not discriminate. Coming up next, Darren Millard joins the show.
0: Moose, you just keep on moosing. This doesn't concern you. Maroon is not just a color. This is the VGK update with Darren Milzy Millard. Good morning,
4: Darren. How are you? I don't do this segment without Ed to keep you in line.
3: What now? You think Ed keeps me in line?
4: Well, he's the saner version of oh, you. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay. I'll, but I, like, I like Adam, so I'll, I'll, I'll make uh, make ex- an exception. I actually
3: think Adam does a
1: better job of keeping me in line. I, I feel like we just set the backdrop for this in a very harsh way. <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, strategy question for you, Darren, the Golden Knights had 60 something shot attempts last night. Less than half of them actually ended up on net. Uh, it seemed as though they were launching from the blue line, the entirety of the game and nowhere else. What is it that Minnesota does so well that prevents the Golden Knights from getting actual like dangerous chances from in front of the net?
4: So the, the, uh, the interesting part is when you, when you watch, and this, this goes back to when, when Vegas comes up the ice. Is is Minnesota will give you the zone in a lot of cases. Um, they they don't they're not one of those teams that uh, that will disrupt you in the neutral zone. Uh, they will uh, they will allow you to to gain the zone, but everything is right between the the circles, and is jammed up, and uh, and it's very difficult to get get bucks through. And they did a good job. Minnesota did the best job that they've done in the series last night in in getting in, in front of shots and. Uh, part of the reason why uh, that, that shot total was, was elevated was a uh, majority of the shots that, that Vegas, I'll just Vegas homes get rid of that. Um, uh, majority of the shots that were coming from, from Vegas shooters last night were from defensemen, and it's uh, much more difficult from long range to get those shots all the way through to the net. So that's a simple explanation for it. Uh, But uh, part of the credit goes to Minnesota who did the best job that they've done the entire series last night at uh, at getting in front of shots. And the other part is because uh, a low majority of the shots that were attempted last night uh, came from, uh, from the back end.
3: So we saw in a couple of the wins for the golden Knights, the offense got going with some transition goals. So if Minnesota is more or less giving you the zone and backing off how like how do you create those transition opportunities if Minnesota is sort of playing a style to take them
4: away? You have to have support, uh, and by support, uh, I mean the multiple uh, players on the rush. And and uh, last night there is example of that. Um, uh, one was was Alex Tuck with just being able to take the puck to to the net himself in a one on one situation, which is ideal. We all love our one on ones uh, in football and basketball and. And in hockey, and uh, and I love the way he took the puck to the net and didn't try to do the, to wrap around or, or a circle around uh, the zone. Uh, the other part is uh, is with uh, support uh, with with wingers, and there's a couple of examples of that. Uh, more with the Riley Smith, uh, William Carlson line uh, with Jonathan Marchessault, but uh, but not a lot of those. And uh, and if you if Minnesota does a better job or a good job. Of, of picking up those options, then it's going to be very difficult and it's going to create one-on-threes and, and one-on-fours because there's no other option, and you're, and you're dealing with that packed, uh, that packed uh, uh, defensive zone. Uh, and, and again, like, uh, through five games, uh, I, I thought Vegas uh, did, a, did a great job uh, of being, ex- being able to exploit the uh, opportunities. Last night, uh, they weren't uh, as often. And last night, Minnesota, ever, that, like there wasn't even—it's not even close—that that was Minnesota's best game of the series. You didn't get goaltended last night, even though there was a shutout. That was just Minnesota uh, playing their best game of the series by a significant margin.
3: Darren,
1: it's a very talking head question to talk about shaking up lines, but we know that Pete DeBoer has yep. not been shy about doing it. Uh, are there any changes that you could potentially see? Because obviously, you know, there was one that was necessitated with the absence of Ryan Reeves last night and Cody Glass going in. But is there anything you could foresee in Game Seven to try to jumpstart that offense a bit?
4: I guess you could do, and uh, Adam can talk to you. Uh, the the one <laughs> area where where he hasn't. Uh, <laughs> where he hasn't uh, touched uh, throughout this year is is that second line and and to be quite honest like I think they've been really good in this series and I would be uh, leery about working and, and changing that line now they they've got about as little out of this series as you could get for as well as they've played in Smith Marshall and uh, and Carlson uh, but you you could uh, if if you wanted to um, either either move one of those wingers up uh, with, with the top line or or, or move some, some pieces around. Uh, he's played with all four lines in the series uh, out of necessity, as you mentioned. Uh, Tuck uh, went up to the to the first line after game number one uh, after the Yanmark uh, audition didn't uh, didn't translate into a lot of uh, options. And and that line has been their most productive uh, line. I, I think the the second line has been probably the most consistent, but the, the the Stevenson and the Stone and Tuck have have carried the mail. Uh, the third line, it's uh, once again without Tuck, it's kind of stuck. But they've had chances. Colossar, I think, uh, it's good, but that's the story of the year for Colossar is, is having good luck. <laughs> um, but uh, but I, I don't know. Uh, the short answer to your question is. Is I don't know the, the 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 one thing that jumps to my mind is can Patricelli play Game Seven, uh, and and it, can Patricelli play Game Seven, and even if he's not a hundred percent, can he play Game Seven on the power play, and 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 be that now? Uh, is that desperate? Um, a little bit. Uh, I don't I don't know where he is. Whether he's seventy percent. Whether he's ninety percent. Whether he's hundred percent. But if he's, if he's somewhere where he, you would rather him get another game's rest or play him just on the power play, would you do that? That, that would be a question that, that I might go down uh, just to try and give give that option. But even that, like uh, it's not a series in which you're getting a ton of power play chances. So if he's only going to play the power play then, and you're only getting one or two chances, I'm not even sure that's worth it because, like he's, like, it's pretty tough to go in there cold and, and do something like that. So you have to be able to take a semi regular shift uh, in this series anyway because you're just not getting the the, the five or six uh, power play chances that that you you expect or hope for.
3: What uh, would you put the percentage chance that Robin
4: Leonard starts Game Seven? Uh, zero.
3: Oh, no chance for Leonard to jump in for seven.
4: Well, that's it. A- Really difficult position uh, to put Robin Leonard in. Let's look at it from that angle, uh, forgetting the Marc-Andre Fleury and and all that. So let's just start right there with the name that you brought up. Uh, He doesn't play for six games, uh, and then you put him in a winner-take-all. He's a professional athlete. He should be ready and uh, and would be ready, but still, uh, that's uh, that's a, a challenge. Um, is it an option? Pete DeBoer has said over and over that they will use their goaltending, uh, as, as a strength. Uh, I, the goaltending has not been any issue in this series. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury has, uh, shut out the Minnesota wild twice in regulation. One of those he lost in overtime, but, uh, but, uh, he, he's, he's posted two regulation shutouts and, uh, and, and, uh, I think he's, he's a reason why he, they, they settled down and won three games in a row, uh, quite honestly, and you can make a case that he's been their, their, their best player. Uh, they have not lost a game because of uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, so uh, I don't see that being uh, of the list of things that they would want to tweak or change or try to exploit. Uh, uh, at this point, uh, I don't see it. Now, if, if, if Vegas is successful on Friday and they do a quick turnaround to, to Colorado, Uh, which I assume that they would. Uh, I think Robin Leonard is a a real option for game one of of that series, but uh, uh, that's looking ahead, but not, not for Friday night.
1: The one thing, Darren, that we didn't talk about yet from last night is the absence of Brayden McNabb and what that yeah. does to the defense core. And, you know, Braden McNabb is probably their most reliable defensive defenseman, uh, you know, among the, you know, the regular six or seven there. Uh, what do you think that changed for the Golden Knights? Uh,
4: well, he's their most physical defenseman, too, Adam. Uh, so that, uh, that makes uh, uh, an impact. Here's a um, look at it uh, big picture. Uh, and then going off some of the comments that uh, that we heard from Pete DeBoer uh, last night was uh, it, Vegas has dealt with some some brushes with COVID uh, here this year. Well, one uh, Nosek was out um, pulled mid game uh, out for a couple of weeks. Uh, Petrangelo was uh, was test positive out for a couple of weeks. But then they had, then they had uh, a couple of cases where there were false positives, and we kind of got into the groove of uh, this after a string, Mark Andre Fleury, uh, uh William Car- like, of, of places where, where they, they dealt with false positives. And, uh, he was asked about that last night and that wasn't an avenue that, uh, that was even sort of embraced. Like it, it sounds like it's a, a legitimate positive test. He's, and, uh, and he's going to be out for a couple weeks. So that's, uh, if you're successful on Friday and you win on Friday, uh, you have to, uh, from the indications, would have to play uh, Colorado uh, without your most physical defenseman. So I, I, I think it's a big loss, uh, a bigger loss than, uh, than people would probably uh, embrace uh, or acknowledge because he's not that Alec Martinez, the, the sexier Petrangelo or, or Theodore uh I I think it's uh, it's really significant. He makes you think when you come down that, that left side or that right side, uh he makes you think with that hip check and then he's just a, a physical force and able to clear the net uh net front presence. So I uh I think it's and it's experience too, Adam. Uh uh I'm not gonna just uh rush his aside and say next man up. I, I think it's legitimate.
3: Are you excited for a game seven?
4: Uh, let me tell you this, Tyler, there, uh, there is nothing like it. And I know the golden Knights have played a couple of them, but I can't be more excited about, uh, the city the Valley, uh, experiencing this firsthand and being able to host the game seven and that crowd to be able to go through that experience. Uh, there's, a, I mean, there's a nervousness buddy, but, uh, I, I look at it like, um, uh anticipation and 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 embracing it and uh this is the first time that uh that that uh, I've gone through it, being able to be in the building with with the golden Knights uh they played last year in the bubble uh and and I I wish it was in two hours uh I cannot wait now that would be difficult because I'm not sure uh Vegas is back yet so that would cause issues uh with not being in the <laughs> arena on time' ready
3: uh, here. he's fine he's got it <laughs> uh
4: I I can't wait and it's it's going to be so much fun to, f- to have a game seven it's one of the few things this this franchise hasn't done is host a game seven so uh i it's it, it's a real opportunity now uh for for people that are that are listening that are going to the game like it's it, the fans will play a role tomorrow night uh from uh being fired up but uh like the, the team feeds and and can read off a tense crowd so I think it's, it's also important for the fans, like the chicken and the egg thing. Uh, th- does the team get the fans uh, going after 15 minutes, or does the, the crowd keep the team going? Uh, I think it's important for the for the, the fans to, to not get quiet and tense and nervous uh, through this whole thing. Uh, but it's the first game seven for a lot of people, and I think it's going to be a, a pretty unique experience. That, that building will be so cool. Uh, through the pregame and the, uh, the the first five minutes of the game, I cannot wait because it's a it's a nightclub anyway. Uh, game forty-two uh, of the season, uh, I can't wait for it uh, tomorrow night.
2: Darren, considering
4: um... hello, Jared, their history,
2: with... their history, considering their history with uh, game sevens, do you think? Uh, well, I'll just put it this way.
4: Do you think they've
3: slayed the dragon and now it's just a matter of, uh, of cooking up some
4: some supper? It's gonna be a feast, buddy. It's gonna be a feast. I, I did that for you, Jared, and I want you to be able to dine out on that.
3: Did, All right. Did we ever clarify? Is is the supper the dragon? Yes. Okay. All right. I mean, you're, you're, it's oh, a blight, the dragons right? the supper. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you slay the dragon, then you eat him. I just wasn't yeah, sure. Then, Do you, I don't know if you eat you dragon eat. or not. It's
4: But you're uh, you're it's it's an early dinner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're a lot of sides. Like a little cauliflower goes great, great with uh, with dragon. So uh, and and white wine, white wine with dragon. Uh, you'd think that would be red wine, white wine with dragon.
3: Well, he's Darren Millard. If you're ever eating dragon, <laughs> call him to ask him what you should drink <laughs> with it. Uh Thanks, Darren. Uh, we look forward to a game seven, even though it's on a Friday before a holiday weekend and I won't get to yell about it for four days. Thanks, Darren.
4: Oh, it's all about you. It is? Adam, Where have you I don't know. Been? we should, uh, we should do this more often, buddy.
3: Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We need a new sharp, by the way. Don't pick the golden Knights in our sharp contest. <laughs> it's not going it never well. Never works. We have a Jersey that we will give away to somebody if they can get to nine in a row. Uh, we're not going to tell you what that jersey is until you get much closer to nine in a row. But we need a new sharp. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. 702-364-1100, your chance to pick a game today. Well, anything today and get started on your own streak. Nine in a row and you win a jersey.
0: Our stats hogwash? Are you tired of hearing Tyler do math on the radio? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. It's time to find the sharp brought to you by PropSwap. We're Smart Sports Bettors, buy and sell sports bets. Go to propswap.com today and find the very best odds. All right, Josh is here to be our
3: sharp. This will be his first pick. Josh, you got to get 9 in a row right and you can win a mystery jersey. Once you get closer we might reveal what that mystery jersey is. But for tonight, uh what would you like your pick to be?
0: Okay, tonight I'm going to go with the Oakland A's.
3: The Oakland A's. All right. We will give you the A's simply to win the game. Uh, They are playing the Angels, which is always a good pick to pick against. So, all right. We got you in for the Oakland A's. Just simply winning today. Good luck, Josh. Thank you. All right. Always pick against the Angels. That's a good plan there. So, Josh is in. If he gets uh, nine in a row, he can win a mystery jersey. But... We got some football news in the Mountain West yesterday. Their television schedule, or at least television schedule with CBS and CBS Sports Network, is out. And I thoroughly enjoyed this small detail. You, the Mountain West is going to get three games on CBS next year. But all of them are coming at early morning time. San Diego State and Boise State are going to play a game in San Diego that kicks off at 9 a.m. Pacific time. Friday after Thanksgiving. Also, Boise State will play Utah State on CBS that will kick off at 10 a.m. local time in the mountain time zone, also 9 a.m. Pacific. Um, so should the Mountain West be willing to play on CBS, re- like big CBS, but only at ridiculously early start times?
1: You know, Tyler, it's so interesting because I believe I've heard a giant mass of hair say for many years that (laughs) the reason that the mountain west isn't on espn is because of the dates and times that it's been asked to play and so here we are in another terrible tv deal in which in order to get onto the big network you're having two of your marquee programs play a game at a time they would never ever even consider playing that I don't think ESPN would ever make them play at 9 a.m. on Black Friday. They're either going to be full of trip to fan or just back from shopping for big screens.
3: I am actually perfectly okay with this. I am perfectly fine with them playing at 9 a.m. to get on CBS because put them on CBS. You got a game on, like the Mountain West television deal prior to the new one they were basically relegated to cbs sports network and like espn u occasionally um now with espn out of the picture and fs1 taking over their the secondary broadcast there i love the fact that they're a going to be on cbs and b that it's going to be ridiculously early in the morning because we're going to get people complaining about it nonstop i mean boise state and san diego state are not going to stop complaining about playing a 9 a.m. game but also i kind of feel like you just suck it up and deal with it like yeah you got to play a game at 9 a.m. Go, go do it. What's the problem? Wake up a little earlier and go play some football. If the idea is to put your best product
1: out there on the biggest stage, the Mountain West is basically taking this, sticking it onto the air and saying, look at Mountain West football with two teams playing at 9 a.m. on a Friday. By the way, also... San Diego State, which means you have a reasonable chance of getting like a 12-9 game that's all field goals, (laughs) and being the worst possible product (laughs) that you could put onto national television. The only thing that I'm disappointed about is that Brian Harson isn't still at Boise State to raise a giant stink over this.
3: You're, you're right about the San Diego State part. It's not the 9 a.m. That's the problem. It's that they put San Diego State on CBS. Nobody's going to ever want to tune into a Mountain West game again after they watch San Diego State play when they throw for 17 yards in a game and still find a way to win. Uh. <laughs> By the way, UNLV has seven games on CBS Sports Network, and I enjoy very much that the game against Iowa State will be at 7:30 so Iowa State fans it'll be 9:30 for their television audience